Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. He loved his family. He loved spending every night, you know, sitting around the table, and his dad would tell the stories of the Old Testament and recount the stories of maybe some of his famous ancestors and some of his fathers before him. Then he would read from the Torah, and he loved hearing those stories by candlelight and looking at his family's faces and just, just the joy of being together. Just the joy of thinking, man, I'm something special. Because his family was, in the terms of this city, they were top of the pole, right? They were pretty high up there in society because this guy, man, his family could be traced back to all the kings of Israel that had gone before him. This guy could trace some of his heritage back to some of the nobility and some of the princes. And he probably had some wealth and his mom and dad, we do know this, his mom and dad put him in the finest educational programs of his day. And I think they even loved Yahweh and taught him well about this God that they served. And I think this boy loved growing up where he was at. Loved everything about it. Then one day, he heard it. Thump, boom, 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 thump. He could hear marching, and, and maybe he scrambled up to the walls surrounding Jerusalem that the city was living in, and, and he could hear the drumbeat coming, and oh, it was. It was this massive army he'd heard about from the city called Babylon, from this new king called Nebuchadnezzar, who had just defeated the Egyptians at the Battle of Carchemish, and now... He was coming down south to take over Judah, the southern kingdom, his country. And after a couple days of sieging that city, all of a sudden, the gates of the city break open. And in charges the Babylonian army and they start killing people and they start taking things says they go into the temple of Yahweh himself and take the beautiful gold hangings and and the vessels it says and and the finest things that were dedicated to the worship of Yahweh King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and grabs that stuff and takes it all the way back to Babylon puts it in his temple to his god Marduk and in praise of their god it was like he was saying ha my god's stronger than your god what are you gonna do about it 
I wonder if during that first siege when Nebuchadnezzar comes in and begins to destroy Jerusalem and takes the stuff from the temple that during that moment he grabs this boy. He grabs this young man, probably 15, 16, 17, around that age. We know him as the man named Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, he's just a boy. Loves being with his family. And he is ripped from his family. And it says in Daniel chapter 1, that he is hauled all the way back to Babylon. He's taken away from everything he knew. He's taken away from the joy he had. He's taken away from, again, probably the highest echelons of society there in Jerusalem. And now he's dragged back to Babylon 500 miles away, probably to become a slave to be thrown down and to be treated like nothing? How did this happen? How would you react? I wonder if Daniel's thinking, where's Yahweh in all this? Where is my God? My God has just been defeated by this other God. This can't be happening. Next couple of weeks, we're going to learn more about this character named Daniel. And we're going to look at the book of Daniel. But I want you to understand, and I want to give you hope, that the book of Daniel is all about this one idea. How do we live for our God in a culture that's hostile to our God? How do we live in a culture that hates Jesus but how do we live faithfully to Jesus in the middle of that culture? Daniel's all about living faithfully to Yahweh in a culture that hates Yahweh. You know how he does it? And you know the message that's sent from me and you today? If we want to live for God in a culture that's against him, Daniel says, the life of Daniel says this, you've got to live with courageous faith in Yahweh. You've got to live with courageous faith in Jesus if you want to live right in a hostile world. Man, live for Jesus, but live for him courageously. And I think another theme of the book of Daniel is, hey, things look like things are going bad, right? He's hauled off to Babylon. I just want you to know God's saying when things look bad circumstantially, when things look out of control, Man, in spite of present appearances, I want you to know the book of Daniel screams that God is in control. Do not give up hope. God's in control. God's working. Trust him. See, Daniel is hauled off to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is defeated. Jerusalem. But you know what's interesting? If you look there in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2 says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Nebuchadnezzar could never have sacked Jerusalem without God's approval. 
Nebuchadnezzar could never have successfully hauled off Daniel to Babylon if God had not wanted him to do that. We can trust that God's in control and nothing here would have happened without God, Yahweh, who is God over all gods, king of all kings. He works in the hearts of other nations, hearts of kings who hate him to accomplish his great will. See, what God was doing was through Nebuchadnezzar, he was fulfilling a prophecy about 120 years earlier. There was a king of Judah named King Hezekiah. Now, let me back up here, okay? Israel is a nation, right? And Israel was a nation under a king named King David. And it was a unified nation. And it was mighty and strong. And it was huge. It occupied all the land promised to him by God. God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. And eventually I'm going to make a people out of your name. And guess what? The nation of Israel came. The 12 sons of Jacob are those 12 tribes. And together they were this great nation led by their king David. Well, David dies. His son Solomon takes over. And eventually Solomon starts worshiping other gods. And eventually he dies. And there's a rebellion. One guy wants to take Israel this way. Somebody else says, hey, let's follow this son of Solomon. Somebody says, no, let's not because he's taking us with other gods. Let's follow this person. Civil war broke out. Eventually, the nation of Israel was split into two. And there was northern Israel, which was basically made up of 11 tribes of Jacob, Remember, there are 12 tribes in the southern tribe, Judah. Their kings followed God. They had wicked kings here and there, but overall, they remained true to the covenant, true to the law, true to following Yahweh. But northern Israel, man, king after king after king, they rejected Yahweh. They rejected God. They did not follow him. King after king brought in other gods and got the people to pursue Baal and other forms of worship. And God said, if you do that, I am going to give you the ultimate punishment, which I talk about all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. And that ultimate punishment is I'm going to kick you out of the land. And sure enough, Northern Israel was eventually defeated by the Assyrians and dragged away. And the people of Israel were deported, kicked out of that land. Well, the problem was, southern Israel, Judah, as I was saying, they remained true to God, but they still had some wicked kings. And in Isaiah 39, we meet a good king. His name is Hezekiah. And he's trying to do right. And he's actually got some power and some might for Judah. Well, he's got so much might that another king says, Hey, tell us more about you. I'm going to send some people to just come check you out. Is that okay? Because I just want to know more about you. In fact, it says this king, his name was Marduk Baladan, was from this country called Babylon, which later on is led by King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, I just want to see who you are. It's going to be a friendly trip. I've just heard great things about you. Well, King Hezekiah gets all puffed up with pride and he shows them everything. 
He shows them all their treasures. He shows them all their might. He shows them all their weapons. He basically gives away everything that they have so they know everything that the southern tribe of Judah has and how powerful or not compared to them they are and they go away. This prophet named Isaiah shows up and he asks King Hezekiah, so what did you show him? What did they see in your palace? Hezekiah says, they saw everything. They saw how awesome and mighty I am. Then Isaiah says to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. It says in Isaiah 39 verse 6, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, verse 7, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. I mean, this is a prophecy Isaiah says specifically to Hezekiah. Because of your pride, someday your future ancestors are going to be dragged off to this very Babylon from which this king came. Well, 120 years later to the day, the Lord allows King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to rise up. And he drags off beautiful gold and silver from the temple of God to store in his temple. And he takes some of the finest men. And it says they're going to take some of your nobility, some of your lineage. And that's why people think Daniel was related to King Hezekiah. And it says there in Daniel chapter 1 that King Nebuchadnezzar specifically was looking for young men to be dragged off to Babylon who were of the royal family, it says, and of the nobility, verse 4, and it says, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand. So basically he's saying, hey, I want you to get me the best of the best, brightest young men in Jerusalem. And if you can find men of nobility, of royal birth, and by the way, you can get them who are also good looking that would be good and bring them all the way back here to babylon and in the middle of that first deportation daniel is snatched ripped away from everything he knows now back then right and even now they go up the fertile crescent which means you go north you can't just go straight across to babylon because that's across desert and you'd run out of water and you'd die so instead they go north up to the fertile crescent and then east a little bit and then they come down south down the euphrates river and it would have taken them you know weeks later on in the book of ezra it takes the people of israel who are leaving babylon four months to make that trip well these are young men and this is an army so this might have taken weeks but can you imagine he is pulled out from everything he's known He's probably beat up a little. Don't want to bruise him too much, right? Because he's supposed to be perfect without blemish when brought before the king. Maybe tied behind a camel and some sort of rope train. And it says they bring Daniel and a whole bunch of these young, bright Jewish men. But in particular, though, he mentions four in the book of Daniel that are going to be the heroes of our story. 
Of these youths being snatched from their family, hauled away from their home, the first one mentioned is Daniel. Second one mentioned is Hananiah. Third one mentioned is Mishael. And the fourth one mentioned is Azariah. And they're all of the tribe of Judah. Well, Daniel, his name means God is my judge. Hananiah, his name means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael, his name is who is what God is. It's sort of a question, you know. Who is what God is? And the answer is nothing. There's nothing like God. And then Azariah means Yahweh is my help. See, back then when you were given a name in the Hebrew culture, it meant something. And particularly, it was supposed to reflect the honor and worship of Yahweh. And so these are beautiful Jewish names. And these men are the brightest boys of their day. And they're hauled off 500 miles later. I think it probably took them at least two weeks. Dragged behind a camel is what I envision. Tied to a rope. All four of these men and maybe another camel, another four and another eight. Drag this whole trip. Exhausted. And they come over the crest of the hill. And then they see it. Wow. They see the city of Babylon. Now, the city of Babylon back then, that was like the New York City, the Chicago, the Portland, the Seattle, the L.A. It was the most fantastic place to be. It was the New York City of the day. That was if you wanted to make money, if you wanted to trade, if you wanted to see the latest, you went to Babylon. And back then, Babylon had what was considered one of the seven wonders of the world, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Everything they had there was top-notch. The architecture was just phenomenal. Way more advanced than what they experienced in Jerusalem. And I can imagine as they're being brought into the city, the gates swing wide open, and in they walk. And they see huge buildings with beautiful roofs. And off in the distance, they see this hanging garden of Babylon, and they, they see the irrigations, beautiful canals. They're looking around, and they're thinking, these people are different from me and but man their stuff is amazing and i can imagine they took them through the market as they marched them down the main streets of babylon and people were cheering and i wonder if daniel thought where is yahweh here these people are probably cheering yay marduk we love marduk and they they honored his name no god is like nabu because they believed in lots of deities and they had lots of gods Jerusalem, the Hebrew people, Judah, they worshiped one true God, and his name was Yahweh. They were monotheists. They only worshiped one God and one God alone, the God of all gods, the king of all kings. But it looked like these gods just defeated their God. And I wonder if Daniel hung his head in shame and wondered, was it true what my dad taught me out of the book of Genesis? out of the book of Exodus and out of Leviticus and about the importance of the law. And I wonder if Daniel thought to himself, yes, it matters. It has to matter. Our God is the real God. Our God is the true God. And 
wonder if he's scared as they're brought up to these mighty palaces right there in the middle of Babylon. He's probably thinking to himself, this is where I'm going to get enslaved, beaten up, treated worse than a rat is what he's thinking. But you know what? That's not what happened to him at all. Instead, it says there in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel and his friends were put through three years of some of the best education and learning of that time. They went to like the Harvard of their day, the Oxford University, wherever the smartest places. And for three years, they went through a study of the highest learning in agriculture, the highest learning in architecture, astrology, astronomy, law, mathematics, and all these different languages like Akkadian. Now notice it says there that they were taught in all the ways of the Chaldeans. Now the Chaldeans, the word there literally means magician. They were taught math architecture, but they were also taught astrology, how to read the stars. They were taught in these ways of divination, because that's what that magician means. It doesn't mean David Copperfield pulling rabbits out of a hat. No, these magicians, these were diviners. They would try to foretell the future for their king. And they probably had to take classes on how to read sheep guts, how to read, you know, tea leaves, how to look at the stars and decide what's going to happen. And can we see when this star raises and shines forth? What does that tell us about the future? They had to go through all this learning. It says there in verse 20, And in every matter of wisdom and understanding, they had to go through all this training for the next three years. Because see, the plan back then, wasn't to treat these smart men. Again, they wanted the smartest, the brightest, the handsomest, okay? The Babylonians wanted the cream of the crop of the young men of the Jewish people. They wanted the cream of the crop. Why? Not to abuse them, not to subjugate them, but instead, they wanted to turn them into good little Babylonians. They wanted to brainwash them. They wanted them to give up on their God, Yahweh. They wanted them to give up on everything that they were taught to become a functioning member of Hebrew society. We want you to give up on Israel. As it says there in verse 5, they were educated for three years, straight up, three years learning all these things. But we could take that word educated and say, they were brainwashed. For three years, the king Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to reject everything they knew and become good little Babylonians to worship their gods instead. One of the best ways to start to brainwash someone is to totally rename them, to totally give them a new name. So it says there, in verse 7, Daniel, we're no longer going to call you Daniel anymore, Daniel. Your name now is Belteshazzar. 
which literally means may God protect his people. But they're not thinking Yahweh, right? They're thinking their God. I'm going to no longer, hey, your name is too religious. Your name is too tied to your religion. Nope, nope, nope. Your name now is Belteshazzar. May God protect his life. Azariah, right, which meant Yahweh is my help, he now becomes Abednego, which basically means a servant of Nabu. Now, Nabu was one of their major deities, and so we got to name you after our God. You're now Abednego. Hananiah, right, Yahweh is gracious, now means Shadrach, which basically is a well-known God. We're sort of lost who Shadrach was in the pantheon of various gods they had in Babylon. But Shadrach was probably an important god, and they said to Hananiah, nope, we're going to name you Shadrach. And then Mishael, remember what I said, who is what God is? Nobody. Our God's so fantastic, nobody's like him. That's what his name is. But in Babylon, they say, your name now is Meshach, which again, like Shadrach, was some Babylonian god, which we've sort of lost in history. You don't know exactly which god it is, but they took these young men and they renamed them after their gods. They changed their names in an attempt to brainwash them and bring them into the line of the Babylonians and to make them good little Babylonians. So when someday they could maybe go back to Israel, and they could start to train the people there. And then the people from Babylon might flow into Jerusalem and eventually take it over. And we'd have no more sense of Israel following Yahweh. We have now totally brainwashed them. If we can capture their youth, we've got them. That's what the Babylonians knew. So this was an attempt the big word here is to assimilate Daniel and his three friends into Babylonian society. They were instructed in their ideas. They were instructed in their curriculum, which was, again, some of the brightest and best of the day. And then they were given new names of Babylonian deities. And you know what's interesting to me? Is Daniel and his friends went along with it. The whole book about Daniel is how to fight with courageous faith. How to know when to stand up and how to trust Yahweh no matter what the circumstances say. And I can imagine Daniel sitting there in class, learning about some new way to read sheep guts to try to predict the future. Or he's sitting there learning about astrology and what Mars in line with this planet means about predicting the future. Later on in Daniel chapter 1, it says that after the three years, Daniel and his friends, they were top of the class. In fact, it says they were ten times better than anybody else in the class. Ten times better. And I think above them all was Daniel. I think Daniel sat there and he took notes and he wrote it down and he memorized and he had flashcards and he had every tool imaginable to educate, to learn all these things that he was taught. But he never gave up on his God. He never, ever quit worshiping God. They allowed them to rename them. They memorized all this junk they memorized all the great stuff, too, about math and science. 
But they probably took all this other junk with a grain of salt in the history of the world with a grain of salt because maybe they talked about how their God created the world, but they knew from the book of Genesis how their God created the world, and they just took it all in, passed the tests, were number one in their class. But then, it says in verse 8, all of a sudden, out of all this, flow of ideas being assimilated in a Babylonian culture. All of a sudden, in verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. You know? Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Daniel says, nope, this is where I got to take my stand. I am drawing a line in the sand right here. And I've often thought to myself, he allowed himself to be renamed. He was the top of the class in all these educational matters. He allowed himself to learn things that he knew were against the Torah and what he was taught. But it was eating the king's food where, I'm sorry, I can't do that. It was eating and drinking the king's wine where he said, I'm sorry, I've got to draw a line in the sand. I can't do that. What was it that all of a sudden Daniel said, I've got to stop. Put the brakes on here. Nope, there's only one true God and his name is Yahweh. What was it? You know what I think it was? I think he came to a point in the culture that was trying to brainwash him where he said, I will not cross any line that makes me worship any other God but Yahweh. If doing something makes me worship another god, I am not going to do it. And notice what it says there in verse 8. He resolved. It was an internal decision. And that word resolve gives that sense of right. I don't care what happens. I'll die before worshiping another god. We're going to see in chapter 2. It was Daniel, it was Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. All four of them had that same resolve that they would rather die then worship another God. That's where he drew the line in the sand. If what I'm about to do is going to make me worship another God beyond Yahweh, I can't do it. You can teach me all that stuff about history that isn't true. I know it's not true, but I'll write what you want to pass your tests. You can teach me all this magic and divination, and I know it's not true. It's, in fact, I learn more and more about how useless and and, and what a waste of time your God is because your God's so petty they've got to look at guts and goats. No, I know how wonderful and awesome my God is, but guess what? Learning about this doesn't make me worship another God. It doesn't make me pursue another God. But eating meat and drinking wine that goes against everything that is in the law eating meat and drinking wine that's offered to another god? I can't do it. I'm sorry. I have got to draw a line in the sand. And man, I want to encourage us today, you know? Where are you? When do you have to stand up for your faith? When should you stand up for your faith? And maybe in the middle of school where they're teaching you stuff that's not a biblical worldview. Well, where, where should you stand up? 
And I think it's going to depend a lot on your context and your situation or at work when you're working away and maybe they ask you to do some things that you know aren't true to Scripture. When should you stand up for your faith? Again, I think it's going to depend a lot on the context, who you are, what the Bible says, but I can learn one principle from Daniel, and this is this. If whatever the culture asks you to do is going to make you stop worshiping your God and start worshiping another, don't do it. Take that step of faith. Stand up. I think there's going to be lots of other reasons to stand up for your faith beyond this one. But I can say right here in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, one principle, don't worship other gods. Remain true to Jesus. Stand up for him. Do not worship any other God but Jesus because he is the one and only true God. And if anything in our culture asks you to do it, don't. So here Daniel says, I can't do that. I think for a couple of reasons. It's interesting. They were they were wined and dined, okay? Daniel and all the Jewish men that were with him. And there were, there were probably a lot of Jewish men, not just those four, but they were living a life of luxury. They were given food and wine daily from the king's own table. Well, they could have, right? And I think a lot of the Jewish men went along with it. But Daniel and the four boys that were with him, 15, 16, 17, maybe in their 20s now, if it was after these three years. We're not exactly certain when this happened, but they were still maybe 16, 17, 18 young men. But they knew the law. And they knew that this food did not conform the requirements of the Mosaic law. They were probably asked to eat many things that were forbidden by the law, right? That were served on the table like ham and pork, and I can't eat that according to the law. It's going to defile me. But on top of that, they were also given drink, right? And it says clearly in the Old Testament and Proverbs and Isaiah that as good Jewish men, if they were conformed to the law, they could not take strong drink. There were prohibitions against strong drink. Now, the Jews quite often diluted their wine with water, okay? And that's when strong drink is undiluted wine. You just take it straight. So the Jews would sometimes add three parts water to one part wine, some six parts water to one part wine. Some would dilute it even more, ten parts water to one part of wine, so they wouldn't defile the rules and the prohibitions set up in the Old Testament. But the drinks they were offered, they weren't watered or diluted at all. It was strong drink. I think Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew. I can't drink this. This goes against what I've been taught in the law. And I, and, and, and I can't eat this food because I've been taught that this food defiles me. And it goes against the covenant that I have set up with my God. This is going to force me to maybe pursue another God. And I think the biggest reason, the third and biggest reason, they couldn't eat this food or drink this wine. It's because quite often this food would come straight from the temple. This royal food had been sacrificed and offered to pagan gods before it was offered to the king. 
And Daniel's desire was to please God in all he did. And he had to follow God's laws right here in the middle of this pagan culture. Why? Because he's worshiping the one true God. And he can't eat meat offered to an idol because that is participating in the worship of that idol. Later on in the New Testament, right, Paul brings up this very thing in 1 Corinthians 10. He talks of eating food offered to idols as participating with them. He can't do that. And I think Daniel also would have thought of Deuteronomy 8.3. And Deuteronomy 8.3 says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Daniel's like, I'm sorry. If I eat of this food and drink of this drink, it's going to make me want to eventually worship another God, and I could be participating in worshiping with another God. I can't do that. So Daniel says, I'm sorry. This won't work. I can't eat of this food. And I think Daniel looks at his friends, and his friends look at him, and they look around at all the other Jewish men that were hauled into Babylon with them, and they're eating of it. They're drinking of it. Should they really draw a line in the sand here? But like I said, Daniel resolved. And I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they resolved in their heart too. They said, we can't, Daniel. We can't. I don't care what our friends say. I don't care what the people around me, even the ones who call themselves good Jews like us. They're defiling the law and they're eating food offered to idols and participating in idol worship. We can't do it, Daniel. We can't. Daniel looked at his friends. His friends looked at him, and I wonder if Daniel said, you know what? This could cost us our lives. Are we willing to make that stand? Are we willing to stand for God? Well, if you come back next week, we are going to find out what happens to Daniel, right? Does he make that stand? And what does that stand actually look like? But I just want to encourage you. It's scary sometimes to be a Christian, right? It, sometimes you feel like the culture's against you everywhere you look. And sometimes you may wonder if it's worth it just to go along with the flow, to cave in. Well, I just want to encourage you, don't. And the book of Daniel and the character of this man named Daniel, we're going to learn a lot of what it means to live with courageous faith and learn more about what it means to truly follow Jesus in a hostile world. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian.
If you would like to listen to more Baldhead Bible Podcasts, please subscribe. New episodes added every week.